When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books Network. My name is Greg Soden, and I'm thrilled today to bring you a conversation with Sheldon Burney. On this episode, Sheldon and I discuss his new short story collection, Where the Pavement Turns to Sand, from Malarkey Books. This collection is a wild ride through the wild and wondrous backwoods of the Canadian prairies, where the possibilities are endless, the horizon is big, and where the pavement turns to sand. These 20 stories are where the mundane meets the weird, where the winter days are short, and where the summer days are long. I absolutely loved this collection, and I think everyone should check it out if you're looking for an absolutely fantastic, hilarious, and spooky collection of stories. Sheldon has appeared on this podcast a couple of times. He has also appeared talking about his Winnipeg music book, Missing Like Teeth, and we also talked about his first novel, down in the floods. You can find those here on New Books Network if you're looking for more and you enjoy our conversation here today. Please enjoy this conversation with Sheldon Burney about the book Where the Pavement Turns to Sand. Sheldon Burney, welcome to New Books Network. Thank you so much for joining me to hang out and uh, talk about your, your new book today. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. Sheldon, we're going to chat about your book, Where the Pavement Turns to Sand, a remarkably fun short story collection that you have out. You've been on this podcast a couple of times with me at this point, uh, but for anybody who's catching us for the first time, maybe give a little potted bio for yourself to introduce to uh, the new listeners out there who have never heard us chat before. Great. Well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a writer, uh, dad, beer league hockey player, community journalist in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, this is my first collection of short stories, uh, most of which, all of which, I believe, have appeared somewhere in uh, in print, whether it's in print or online or or whatnot before this collection. But this brings them all together in in one little uh, tidy little package for you. Love. Let's just start right there. Uh, tell me about the span of time 
you've worked on where the pavement turns to sand and maybe how the stories appeared over the years before coming together as a cohesive package? Okay, well, the bulk of these were written, I'd say, between like 2016, 17, somewhere in that uh, realm, and about 2022, early 2022, uh, when the manuscript was complete and then accepted by the publisher. Uh, there is one that dates back almost, I guess, 20 years now to wow. 2004, uh, which is uh, good things on the way. I kind of, you know, polished it up a little bit, but... For the most part, it's the same story as uh, appeared in a literary review when I was uh, uh, a younger fella, you know, trying to kind of figure out the world of, of submitting stories and, and whatnot. Uh, and when that one landed, I thought that like, oh, man, this is going to be easy. Like, I'm going to be publishing stories and making money left, right and center. And Amazing. of course, it didn't, it didn't work out that way at all. But uh, <laughs> but it's cool that, uh, you know, I was kind of had for a while been afraid to go back and look at that one, assuming it was just going to be cringy or, or bad. But uh, for the most part, it, it stood up pretty well. I'm surprised that I was able to pull something off that well back then, given a lot of the other kind of projects or whatever I was I was doing at the time. So that was a little happy, uh, happy discovery on my part. But the bulk of them are, are fairly recent uh, within that five year span, let's say early 2017 to, to 2022. Love that. Um, so I did the pre-order through Malarkey. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the publisher, who is, I believe, based in Missouri, correct? That's correct. Joplin, Missouri. My home state. So just down I-44 from St. Louis, my hometown, Joplin, Missouri. Shout out to Malarkey Books um, for for this one. This is really cool that you got to collaborate with somebody from my home state. Tell me a little bit about how the reception has been so far for Where the Pavement Turns to Sand. I'm curious about what... Uh, the release has been like for you, what fun events you've done to promote the book. Tell me anything fun that's going on for you lately with the book. Right. So I think uh, I think it's been okay to start with. We had a lot of uh, the publisher being based out of the States. And as you know, like shipping rates and such are, are kind of crazy uh, internationally back and forth between our two countries. So uh, we kind of worked together to provide an option for Canadians to pre-order the book and not pay like $20 shipping or or something that would just make it un, uh, you know unappealing to to both the publisher to send and to people to order so we shipped a bunch of the all the pre-order books from Canada to me and then I shipped them domestically and we had a good response there was you know a good amount of people that uh, from across Canada that picked it up I think fewer in the states so I'd like to it'd be great you know this is a book with Canadian characters by a Canadian writer but uh I think there's a crossover appeal, so I'm hoping that the more American readers will will discover that that's true. But if not, well, what can you do? Uh, so, yeah, I think the response so far has been all right. We had a launch here in Winnipeg at uh, McNally Robinson Booksellers, which is a fantastic regional independent uh, bookstore here on the prairies that uh, that does a lot of work supporting you know local and regional writers. Uh, so we had a successful launch there, which was a lot of fun, a little reading and, and Q&A sort of thing. And, uh, you know, now it's just a matter of, yeah, connecting with radio folks here locally or podcasters or or whatever, just, you know, trying to let people know it's out there and, and uh, what it's all about. I loved that when I did my pre-order, I got an old Winnipeg Jets hockey card stuffed inside mm. the book. And uh, I was really jealous that I saw some, I think somebody else got like a Dave Andrew Chuck card or something, <laughs> uh, which was really cracking me up. Whose idea was the uh, Winnipeg Jets hockey cards in the pre-order? 
That was mine. And the reason being that if, uh, you know, normally uh, if with Malarkey and a, and a lot of other, you know, indie um, publishers that rely on pre-order to kind of cover a lot of the upfront costs, you know, typesetting, layout, design, the cover art, all that stuff isn't free. Um, if you're doing it at a, you know, at a level that uh, you're providing a good product to to the people who buy it, you know, they try to offer incentives and I know Malarkey always does you know, the author will sign all the pre-orders or maybe, you know, put together, get some stickers or do something fun. Uh, but because I was unable to ship anything personally from the States, just by, you know, the cost difference, I figured I could at least like, you know, make write little couple handwritten notes or send down a, a bunch of hockey cards to Alan, the publisher, to just stick in just so there was something uh, that he didn't have to do, uh, like a bonus for, for folks. And for folks up here, I did the same thing. I just went through old hockey cards and found one for, you know, if they were out in Alberta, I tried to pick the appropriate Oilers or Flames or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, unless I knew for a fact that they get a kick out of, uh, or might get a kick out of something else. So yeah, that's just fun. I like, you know, the hockey cards of that era are basically worthless with a couple exceptions, but there's thousands of them out there. They're free bookmarks. They're fun. I like, you know, having fun with those, giving them out whenever I get a chance. Fabulous. Well, my reading experience with this book was such a gift because uh, I got your book and I got Wab Gishig Rice's new novel yes. for one trip. I was going to the Dominican Republic. I had a direct flight from Toronto to the Dominican Republic where uh, when I go on planes, I just lock into this ultra attentive reading zone where mm. I can read for hours straight without having my phone or the internet or anything else in the world to distract me. And I read this book basically cover to cover on one flight, um, which was such a joy to uh, to do that. And I was like the guy cackling loud, <laughs> like inappropriately, inappropriately loudly while reading it like uh, on a plane. Um, <laughs> and you can ask my girlfriend, like she was sitting right next to me and I, I kept being like, and she was just loving the fact that I love the book so much. And I was just like, I love this book so much. This is cracking me up. Um so I had an absolute blast reading this. And there's a couple of like recurring things that come up in this book. Mm -hmm. One for me is your the book's interest in the supernatural, mythology, folklore, aliens, stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that weaves throughout uh, Abominable Snowmen, Bigfoot, things like that. Tell me some things that kind of are woven throughout the story that kind of speak to you as a writer. Right. So, I mean, my interest as a uh, as a reader and a writer, I guess you'd say, uh, not, I wouldn't say by even any stretch of the measure that I read exclusively or try to write exclusively within genre, but I really enjoy and have since, uh, you know, what some of the things that really got me at a young age were science fiction, horror, uh, to a lesser extent, fantasy, but, you know, that uh, that genre fiction of uh uh, specifically like creepier, weirder stuff where perhaps reality isn't the same as we live, we are used to. Yeah. Uh, and so I, as a reader, I've always been interested in that, you know, Ray Bradbury, uh, Shirley Jackson, Charles Beaumont, uh, Richard Matheson, Stephen King, obviously like those, those kind of writers are, uh, folks I come back to all the time. I mean, I, I think I read, you know, fairly widely and try to, you know, read contemporary, uh, men and women authors who are, uh, you know, doing stuff now, uh, but I always kind of come back to those those folks, William Gibson, you know, stuff like that, Philip K. Dick, uh, all these science fiction and and to some extent horror writers uh, 
I like that you can, you know, yeah, create a world or put a spin on our world that uh, that that maybe isn't the way we see it every day. And you know, uh, as a writer, I I don't know if it's just I'm not well, don't feel well versed enough to dive fully into that world as a, as a writer, or whether I, you know, I, I kind of find it comfortable, you know, kicking around at the margins and uh, and using that those kind of genre tropes or or or, or, or pieces of those genres uh, to more, you know, explore our own reality. What is real? What are the stories that we tell ourselves about reality and about ourselves and our decisions and things that happen to us? Can, you know, are there aliens or did this, you know, did you just fuck up really badly one time and, <laughs> and not want to take responsibility for yourself or whatever? And that theme of, you know, the stories we tell ourselves kind of runs through these stories uh, as well as the theme of maybe there is something more going on here, or maybe, uh, you know, the, the character or the narrator is, you know, that's a crutch they're relying on to, to get them through a difficult situation or, or to not face up to the reality or, or what have you, but having it kind of ambiguous, uh, I think isn't that outrageous. You know, I think people tell themselves stories all the time and it's a little bit more fun as a writer and a reader to, to throw Bigfoot in the mix as a question mark or as a shadow in the background. Uh, but still being able to ask yourselves these questions about, you know, moral choices or, or failings or, or what have you, but, uh, uh, maybe it's like the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. uh kind of thing. I don't know. I, that's just, th these are the kind of things I've found myself writing in the last, you know, five years and it makes it fun for me. And as a reader, again, I like when I can, you know, be contemplating serious things and then reading something serious, but it's not like fucking beating your head, you know, beating yourself over the head with how serious something is when it could be a little bit fun. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm thinking about the dad driving through the snowstorm to get the new binky for the kid and Susu right. go bye-bye. And then you see this mysterious thing off in the distance. And then it's just like you, you second guess everything that you know about yeah. your own sanity and like what is real, what isn't real. Absolutely love that it so i just have a question about the cover here so the covers right yes. here is this a reference to the story golf among us essentially uh on the front cover here i'm wondering if this is the little golfer under the beam of light in the middle of the forest here you know it's uh i would say it's you know probably an indirect reference where i worked with the uh the author or the um the artist uh it was a very easy back and forth he just kind of gave you know had a questionnaire got me to send him some some artwork that i liked uh cover art and stuff and so you know based on the kind of themes uh that we've just discussed uh which are very prevalent in the in the gulf among us story that's boils down to you know is this guy did he lose his you know his, his self his, his sobriety did he fall off the wagon as as everyone suspects or did he have an encounter with something that people just can't wrap their head around and is the two is that the same thing in in a way but uh anyway yeah you know it's uh, the, the david uh is a fantastic artist and he really captured the vibe very quickly he you know he sent yeah. you know six or seven different different ideas but that one to me as soon as i saw that cover it's like wow he nailed it right off the bat it was a great great little working relationship with him I'm wondering about the recurring setting in the book. There is a setting that shows up across numerous stories called Lake Manawaka. And there's a story that we'll talk about later uh, a little bit about, um, you know, Bauer selects of skating on the ice. There is mm -hmm. a family who's on vacation on this ice. There is a pizza restaurant that takes place in this community. Uh, tell me a little bit about the recurring setting in the book and maybe if it means anything special to you in particular. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, 
the short answer would be that it's just like a, a fictional town uh, that I was hoping would stand in for cottage country or, you know, lake country or, you know, the, the lake, whatever, you know, that, that so many people uh, enjoy across North America as an as a escape or getaway. But that at the same time, people also call home year round. And there's such mm -hmm. a, I think there's so much going on with that dynamic and, you know, the, the, the class questions, uh, race questions, history, you know, who has and who has not, uh, that could be explored within a cottage community that, uh, uh, I know John Cheever would write often about, you know, the rich folk going out to their Hamptons houses and whatnot. And he hit on a lot of that dynamic very well. Uh, Shirley Jackson's summer people is a story that gets that creepiness of what happens when the summer people go away and what do the yeah. people get up to, uh, when they're not around. And, <laughs> and so I love, I love that. And I love that, you know, writers like Stephen King, uh, whoever, uh, uh, in particular, um, in, in this case, um, uh, Margaret Lawrence, a uh, Canadian writer who wrote, she's from Nipawa, Manitoba, which is where my dad's family's all from, uh, wrote about Manawaka, which was a stand-in for Nipawa in the Depression era, you know, in, in, into and out of the Depression era, settler community in the early 1900s. And she did it so well, uh, kind of being able to, to, to get at the nuance of, again, class and race and, you know, what is said and what isn't said. She did that so well that it's, basically a foundation for anyone writing about Manitoba can, you know, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, I wanted to, you know, tip my hat in that direction, locate the, you know, the the, the country that I'm writing about here, Lake Country, within a, the a parameters that already exist in, in you know, Canadian literature, uh, as a, as an, you know, uh, an allusion to the history that she's gone, because now it's, you know, 100 years later, or 80 years later, uh but there's still those 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 dynamics at play and then if you throw in you know ghosts or aliens or whatever to the mix as well which she never did but she could have easily because so much of the darkness and uh you know of colonialism and 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 sexism and you know power dynamics and class uh she would write about but in the very polite you know midwestern or prairie you know way of talking and acting where things might not be said but oh that did you see the you know so-and-so looked at that person this way or you know uh reading her for the first time her, her most famous novel is the stone angel uh which is there's a stone angel in the nipoa cemetery which is you can see from where my aunts and uncles and grandparents are all buried uh when i first read her stuff it was like a light bulb going off because that's so much of that that has held over despite the years and so i wanted to you know pay homage to, to what she's done but also situated as an any place cottage country backwoods kind of a town love that when i was reading it the, the lakes that i was picturing were in the adirondacks and mm -hmm. in upstate new york uh there's a town that i've got that i go to kind of regularly now called saranac lake uh which is really close to lake placid but i was picturing that kind of town yeah. uh whenever i was reading it so i had my own little concocted mm -hmm. setting almost but i also thought about places in uh central saskatchewan like tobin lake up uh by prince albert and stuff like yeah, that yeah uh that's kind of what was grooving with Was me is a couple yeah. places like that waska sioux is the national park up near prince albert very similar in yep. to uh clear lake which is uh, uh in uh, wasagamine is the town site in riding mountain national park spent a lot of time there as a kid and as a young adult you know family cabin you know going to visit my grandma and all that kind of thing so yeah, very, yeah. very similar vibe. But they, yeah, you know, you can plunk down a little cottage community anywhere in North America and 
you know, again, these dynamics are all at play everywhere and uh, just kind of sub in your own scenery and your own greenery, I guess. I want to uh, throw a couple of stories at you. Yeah. And uh, just have you say kind of like what you like about them or um, an, an observation or something that uh, is kind of unique in your view as the author about a couple of these stories. I want to start with Bauer Selects. Um, this story just really punched me in the heart. And I'm sure that you meant it that way. It's uh, such a moving story about, about this guy who's clearly going through some stuff and uh, gets obsessed with just ice skating for, for as, as long as his legs will carry him. And um, I'm wondering if you can just tell me a little bit what you think about that story. Cause to me, it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, thank you. I, I really, you know, worked hard on that one and, and was trying to get that across. It's, you know, often our recreational activities, people do them just for fun. You know, you're doing playing beer league hockey or pickleball or whatever, whatever it may be as, as an outlet to get away from your every day. But sometimes, uh, you know, if, uh, if things aren't going right in your day to day, uh, perhaps people lean a little bit more into that. And you see that uh, people kind of having a bad day at work, maybe they're taking it out on the ice or uh, on the court or whatever. And normally it's a one off sort of thing. But I wanted to lean into well, what if this, you know, what if this is was this guy's outlet, and he's just, you know, instead of dealing again with, uh, with his his issues or his his situation, head on, he's, you know, projecting or deflecting and, and and leaning into this activity which is harmless in and of itself right skating but and then you add a little bit of a perhaps a, a supernatural element to it and all of a sudden it, it takes it to another level or is this guy really just kind of losing it and no one's no one's quite stepping up enough to to kind of help him out of it maybe he doesn't have anyone he can lean on so it again playing with that kind of is is this just a situation that could have been dealt with if people had been you know more open and talking about what they're going through or was this guy's skates really possessed? Yeah, it, it uh, it was such a creepy and also very moving story about these. You know, the 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 way the teammates talked about the story throughout it, you could all tell that they all had regrets too. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, mm -hmm. I should have said something. I should have done a little better. I should have supported my buddy uh, a little, maybe a little more aggressively or something like that. And it it got me thinking about ways that my friends and I support each other or don't support each other when we're going through hard times and uh, get gets you reflected on how you treated a friend when they were going through a hard time and kind of makes you think about, I could have done so-and-so a little better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that's, about that. that's what I wanted to to bring across in the framework of a, you know, a, a ghost story, yeah. quote unquote framework where you've got the classic setup of the guy telling a ghost story to some yeah. pals around the fire or in this case around the dressing room after the last uh, skate of the evening yeah i love the the way it was set up to like, tell the story is like wait wait i don't know that story oh i don't know if you want to hear it tonight <laughs> and uh and then it just takes off in a new direction i love that okay the next one i want to know about is this wasn't on my original list but i went back and revisited the the some skim some stories last night and I forgot how much I loved the story right on the button about oh, the, yeah. about the curling couple who is obsessed with winning a competition, a curling competition against a robot built by a bunch of uh, geeky uh, dweeb scientists who, you know, developed this this uh, robot that can throw a perfect curling game. Tell me a little bit about this, because I absolutely loved this like showdown between human and machine. <laughs> 
You know, I, I think I read a story in the news years and years ago about that exact premise where these U of M, you know, engineers or whatever had made a robot that could, and I don't know if that's true or if that's just my memory. I never looked into it beyond that, but it just, the idea uh, of a showdown between that, you know, sat there because it's such a weird pastime, like curling and obviously Manitoba is huge. People love it. Uh, it's fun. It's a great activity, but uh, people are like obsessed with it and mm -hmm. put a lot of effort into it. Uh, so it just seemed like a fitting uh set up to to something bizarre you know like that these guys would invent scientists would invent something that was so specific but and you know and i wrote this was a couple years old now but now with you know ai and, and people using that for creative pursuits it's it almost is you know the there's a parallel between that it's like why do you need a machine to do something that we're just doing for fun like it you know i don't need to actually throw a perfect rock or yeah or write a perfect song i do it or you know for the sake of doing it but that's not always you know the uh the impetus to doing something right so so i found uh, in the last year that it has gained a bit of um meaning in the when you when yeah. you think about ai and art and that sort of thing that i had not really intended it was it was very kind of narrow in my focus uh but you know that idea of something coming in from the outside and uh usurping something that you take uh really you know personally and, and provides a lot of uh, relief or enjoyment or, or whatever to you. Uh, I, I wanted to to see what would happen. And of course, you know, in the end, you just can't win. <laughs> yeah. You know what I did actually, I don't know if you've done this at all, but I went on, uh, the AI, uh, text generator website one time and I wrote, wrote me, write me a 300 word short story in the style of Haruki Murakami, where the setting is Tokyo and the narrator is a cat and it plopped it right out. And I mean, obviously, it wasn't like amazing or anything, but it was well structured, had a beginning, a middle and an end. It had characters, it had a conflict and a plot. And I was just like, wow, it actually did it. And so now that that experience of me doing that and your comment with that, but also the characters in this story being obsessed with like competing and committing to beating this technology and the training that they go through was amazing. I was absolutely loving the woman huh. character in that story with how like commit. What was her name? What was her name? Betty Doreen. Doreen. Yes. Oh man, loved Doreen. She was just hyper focused and obsessed. And I just admired that character a whole lot for her commitment to the entire mission of she. Especially, essentially, spent six months of her life committed to doing this one task. And I just admired the heck out of that character mm -hmm. in the story. I thought it was awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I, I got respect for Doreen for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. Tell me about dad's day at the local zoo. This story had me howling the way this dad just like pulls off this epic heist and essentially, um, you know, just sets the stage to become a legend. And, uh, <laughs> you know, th this story kind of would like speak to like animal rights as well. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this story, because there was so much going on and I was laughing my butt off. Yeah, I mean, it's another one where that just an idea of like, what if this dad just let all these animals out at the zoo? And obviously, <laughs> right. it, it would it would never go down in the way that it does. I'm sure there's all these safeguards and whatnot. But I, you know, it's one of those things where what I don't remember where the idea came from, but it was just like, what would happen? And you know, why would this guy do that in the first place? Oh, he's trying to you know impress his kids because he's such a loser, and like they probably just think he's you know fucking yeah, he's he's desperate for some approval and to win some points back with these kids who he only sees every second weekend and blah, blah, blah. And it was just a, one of the, you know, a case of like how to take a story and just try to escalate 
every opportunity to you know what would make the what what would make the situation worse or more extreme or or you know how would you escalate it uh decision by decision and i, I like that now I, I didn't used to always think about that when plotting or, or developing a story but every now and then i like to put myself in the mode of like you know always be escalating and see uh, see yeah. where you can go and it's fun it's a fun way to to approach a story yeah, so much of the so much of my life, as you know, I host that other podcast about the band mm -hmm. Propagandy from your hometown, and like the scene in in uh, Dad's Day at the local zoo where he's like, "Kids, go on without me." Yeah, yeah. it reminds <laughs> me of the song of the song Adventures in Zucosis, where he's like, "Run, kids, yeah, yeah. run, leave me behind." And I was just like, "Oh, that's so cool." <laughs> I love seeing that. I love seeing that little parallel, but it just reminded me so much of that scene where the kids are running, but they're looking back at Dad, and they're like my dad did this for me, man. Yeah. And it's just this amazing little moment that reminded me so much of that song. And I was cracking up too. Um, what about, uh, tell me a little bit about what you think about the, the sibling rivalry in Lyle and Dwight are at it again, because I noticed that right. Lyle shows up a couple of times in the book. He's kind of mm -hmm. a recurring character, which I was relieved for a reason. I'm not going to spoil for readers that Lyle okay. was, was in the book in <laughs> right. Lyle and yeah, Dwight yeah. are at it again. Um, tell me a little bit about this story. Cause I love the sibling rivalry in it. Yeah. I mean, I've got a brother, uh, and you know, often he's younger and I was probably real mean to him when he was younger for no reason, just, you know, and so that dynamic, I think about that a lot. I also have a, a number of friends who, you know, are adults now, but who are, you know, have brothers very close to each other and who, I, as these two in the story, they fight at this, they fight at that. I've seen this play out so many times and it's just such an interesting to me dynamic and uh yeah it was just a matter of you know again a, a flash of like what would what would cause these two brothers to fight after they were just hanging out you know at a Christmas party like what what would cause them to to lose it and it's like well yeah tons of tons of things probably so yeah it was an exercise in in working that through with these two characters and uh as well as having the observers or the narrator you know kind of thinking back on himself and his own choices and his own relationship with his siblings or whatever because it can be it can be difficult especially at the uh, at the holidays for some for some folks things things can bubble up that have been yeah. sitting dormant for or not so dormant for years it was so funny to me to think about two brothers sitting in an apartment on like the fifth floor of an apartment building or something and they both leave together and something happens in the stairwell and <laughs> by the time they hit the street they are fully at blows and they're smashing each other into cars and they're throwing throwing punches and stuff so i was uh i love that story and it was another hilarious one that really got me going on the plane hmm. all right last one the night the fridge fucked up pete's car loved this one thought it was yeah. hilarious tell me about uh tell me about the the fridge the fridge situation and maybe what you remember about this one this is, I recently got a chance to read this on the radio here in Winnipeg at UMFM on a morning Sweet. show, which is, I love this, this story. This is one that would fall kind of, you know, almost into auto fiction where the first, you know, couple paragraphs are just like me remembering something uh, and then taking it into a completely different direction. But there was a place where a bunch of us lived above this subway in Clear Lake one summer when we were 20 or 21 years old and the fridge conked out and the guy brought this new new to us you know new used fridge up and he told us to just throw the other one off one day and we did we, we luckily Pete moved his car in the real version but uh we would have cleared it 
and, and probably would have played out much like the story if we hadn't. But again, it's an opportunity to kind of work out some old memories, kind of weave that into a story that has, you know, greater meaning than this one time me and some pals through a fridge off a, a balcony and, you know, tie, tie that into some of, the, some of the other themes that were at work in, in some of these stories. And I felt that it uh, fit nicely in the fabric uh, of the of 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 the greater narrative in, in, in its way. I love those weird moments from like your early late teens, early twenties, that something so absurd happens that mm -hmm. being 40 thinking about something like that happening now is like just <laughs> impossible to conceive. Like um, I remember one time I, I had a, a roommate in college who he found himself extremely intoxicated in the back room of a bar and he had his backpack on him and he wound up just shoving bottles into his backpack mm -hmm. and then he ran for it. So he basically like stole all these bottles from the bar. And then the next day he opened up his backpack in the living room, pulled it out. And it's all those like flavor syrups that you like putting <laughs> coffee and stuff. So he yeah. thought he was like stealing hundreds of dollars worth of liquor. And he wound up stealing flavor syrups that were <laughs> in our apartment for like the next two years um, because we had no idea what to do with them. And then it's just those weird moments that, uh, I'm really glad you documented the fridge in like a, a slightly dramatized version of the yeah. book, because I'm glad to hear that that's kind of a real one because I could picture it so vividly. I was like, man, I feel like this is real the whole time I was reading it. I love <laughs> up until, it. up until there's a turn in there and the rest is real. And again, putting that, uh, okay, that's just some silly thing that, that humans do. But then if you like take a step back as the narrator does and consider it from a different vantage of, of aliens or whatever, then yeah. all of a sudden it gives you like, what are we doing with ourselves? You know, yeah. what are, what do, or what are these stories add up to in the end? Uh, do, are they meaningful? Are there, are there people judging us or are we completely telling ourselves just the, the weirdest things? So. Well, Sheldon, you and I have been hanging on podcasts for a long time, whether it's talking about music or talking about uh, your Winnipeg music um, book, Missing Like Teeth, or your first novel, Down in the Flood. This is your your most current one. Yeah. And, you know, I love that we could do this. Uh, do you have any particular stories in the book that you're like exceptionally proud of as a writer that like really stand out to you? You're like, wow, I am so proud of like this one and this one or something like that. Like, what is your, like, what do you feel is like kind of like your, your masterpiece within the, within the collection? Uh, I don't know. I really like, we've talked about Bauer selects and golf among us a little, and I feel those are very connected to each other uh, in that they're longer pieces and they're a little bit harder to, to, you know, sustain, uh, and, and put together a longer piece, whereas some of these are a little bit shorter, which is a challenge into itself to to, to write succinctly and, uh, and and pull something off in you know 500 or a thousand words versus 5,000. But they each offer their own challenges, and I think both of those were put together well enough. Uh, a lot of them have yeah, kind of soft spots here, and we, we've touched on yeah. a few of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's they're Do all you... they're all pretty fun. <laughs> Do you uh did you have any like doubts about putting Bauer selects buried all the way at the end having it be such a strong story because when I got I, like I almost didn't get to that one like I didn't read that one on the plane and then so like it I easily could have missed it you know what I mean if I hadn't picked up the book the next day on the beach I would have missed Bauer selects yeah. entirely like th there's a risk of like sequencing the book in that way you know totally and I've read a lot of stuff about like you know people have an argument you put the best one at the front and you front load and blah 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 and it's the same with I guess when people you know bands or, or artists put together an album you got there's all these ideas on how to sequence and this one it just felt like there if I put that too much in the front and then it was too front heavy I also wanted there to be kind of like a cyclical 
nature to it is that you kind of travel through the seasons with these characters whether it's at the same year or over the years but there was some kind of you know uh narrative flow that was based on you know the changing of the seasons in this oh kind of cool. area and so you, you start off in the fall end of summer roll through the winter get through a full summer again and end off in the winter once again oh rock on i didn't realize the the book was sequenced like that i really enjoy that little uh tidbit as well it's kind of like wonderful to nice. me that made sense and again it's not <laughs> this is you know perhaps counterintuitive to, to some folks or whatever but i felt strongly that that was a uh, a way that made sense to me and that uh, allowed me to kind of place these things in the right spot and have them feel like they were in conversation with each other without uh yeah I, it, to me that it, it pulled it together well uh sheldon what a what a pleasure to uh to read this book and to be able to chat with you about it uh it's such a pleasure to be able to read people's work who i enjoy and then do something like this and hang out and kind of process it in real time for myself uh, I feel so lucky that we were able to do these kinds of projects mm -hmm. together and, and hang out and chat about your work. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell folks out there, uh, promote anything you'd like if you want to direct people's attention to anything, have at it. Tell tell everybody where, where to go. Right. Well, this book uh, is available direct from the publisher, which is malarkeybooks.com. If you're in America, the United States of America, that's probably your best bet, uh, though you can get it from Bookshop org in the states as well and imagine the the shipping uh, uh and all that the cost is all pretty much across the board for both of those um if you're in canada you're probably your best bet is to ask your local bookstore to bring it in or your local library uh i know in in winnipeg and saskatoon mcnally robinson has it in stock they also offer pretty good shipping across the country uh if you're looking uh, uh to do it that way but any local bookstore any independent bookstore uh will bring it in if you ask them because it's available through distributors that can can make that happen uh it's also a kindle or ebook you can get it if that's uh that tickles your fancy and then you don't have to worry about shipping uh i think you can get the ebook directly from malarkeybooks.com but if not kindle uh, amazon.ca or com will, will get it in you all right well as uh as dt robbins says on the back of the book sheldon bernie sheldon goddamn bernie man thank you so much for being here really appreciate your time chatting about where the pavement turns to sand thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me man pleasure <laughs>